Welcome back to Millennial Mental Health. I am Stephanie Contra-O'Hara, licensed professional counselor, and today I have with me Robin McInnes. Robin, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, I'm Robin. I'm a licensed mental health counselor, and I work in brain and spinal cord injury rehab at NeuroRestorative. I've been there for 11 years and have worked a variety of roles. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So as usual, we're going to just start off with our first question. What is your current role at NeuroRestorative, and how do you think your degree influences your decisions in your career? My current role is that I'm the quality improvement specialist for the state of Florida. Uh, It's a new role for me, but because I've worked roles from direct care to case management to running a program, I do a lot of investigations for policies and procedures being followed or not, and what's happening within programs at their level. And so with my degree, I think more than just looking at what's on paper, I take a moment to connect with the people that I'm looking at and seeing where they are mental health wise, like assess the how the program is as a whole and see if something is not going as planned. Is it that somebody is just not following a procedure or is it that they need support? Is the person new or is there something going on in their life that we don't see in the work setting that's influencing what they're doing? And I think that it's my background in mental health that approaching things that way becomes my de facto go-to and it's not something that I really have to think about, but it's connecting with the person first. And I think what also helps is my direct boss is a social worker by trade. And so learning my job through her, but then us both having that background, we approach people and programs in the same way, which I think is helpful to everyone involved. Yeah. I think there's this common, um, thought that like people are born like therapists or like born to do this kind of work because of their personalities. And then of course the additional training just enhances that. Um, So it sounds like the way that you approach your job is like very holistic. Like you you see the, the logic and logistics about it, but then also like see the person as like an emotional feeling like human being, which needs to be cared for like in that way, rather than just like, what are the numbers? Right. And we are, we're people taking care of other people. And so, um, and I think in leadership, you have to take care of your people in order to take care of those, the people that we serve. Yeah. Now only if all management had some experience in mental health, right? Like that would be, I think an excellent course to teach in like business management schools. Like let's care about people as people. Right. And some businesses are getting it right. That goes some of the things you hear about at Google or some of those big Silicon Valley companies are getting it, but definitely so caring for people, then they can better help your product, which for us just also happens to be serving people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being in management in a job has a lot of pros and cons. I'd imagine. Um, do you feel like your 
balance between like being a, a like a leader and like being like a mom or being a wife like ever is overwhelming and like stresses you out and how do you deal with that oh man i um i took a step back so i was a program director and then i took a step back after i had my first kid and came back in a role that just um, supported other roles for a year was interesting. 2019 was the year that uh, people either went out for surgery or because other people had babies or people got married and went on vacation. And they happened to be all these people that had already done. I had done those jobs. So in 2019, I just filled in for people. Well, then in April of 2020, I was promoted back to the program director of a new program and right, this is the start of a pandemic. I just found out I was pregnant again <laughs> and then had a one and a half year old. So um, being promoted during a pandemic in healthcare was a lot. And then trying to stay safe because no one really knew what was going on and then just finding out I was pregnant, very overwhelming at that point. If I was fortunate enough that we did a lot because of my position. I could work a lot from home and that gave me a sense of safety. Um, and everyone was very supportive of the fact that no one knew how COVID would specifically have an effect on a pregnant woman. And so they were very supportive of, I stayed home. And if I did have to go to the office that I basically went in, screened in, went to my office and would see people through my window as I needed <laughs> Um, but yes, it's been stressful um, and just trying to reemerge for life and also um, then taking a new position again and figuring out how to safely visit programs throughout Florida and to do my job and yet keep myself and my family safe and all of us balanced. Yeah. It's a daily juggle. <laughs> I would imagine. How do you think your degree in counseling has impacted um, your role as a mother? I would say that um, going through all that work in school has immensely helped me, like way good training grounds for that. That and working in a rehab setting where people are trying to relearn how they're going to do life and interact is similar in some senses as the kids are trying to figure out the world and remembering that people can have a bad day and it has nothing to do with you has being able to put down that ego and remember that when the toddler's having a tantrum, it has nothing to do with me. She's just trying to work some things out the best that she can. And that has been immensely helpful. And then also knowing that her having that tantrum or talking back or stomping her foot, whatever she's doing is a behavior that has some purpose in remembering to get curious about why she's doing that or what she's trying to tell me instead of just trying to make that behavior stop. We both learn a lot more that way and there's less tears and we avoid the power struggle, which are all things that we've learned between working and uh, and brain injury and just having my degree. So it's a great, if you could prep for motherhood in any way, I really think having a counseling or like behavior degree is the way to go for that. 
Yeah, for sure. I know there's lots of parenting books out there for people that don't have the resources to get a degree in counseling or have other interests. But I imagine like the amount of parenting books made that you needed to read was probably a little less based on the amount of like experience in the um, in at neuro restorative as well as uh, throughout your degree program. Yes, yes, and we're and I think I think it helped that I waited too, uh, like that I didn't have kids till after thirty, and so I had worked for quite a while, had figured out who I was, had figured out how to go through a multitude of uh, hard situations. That that has all helped. Yeah. Well. We're going to shift away from talking about Robin specifically and talk more about like, what are your thoughts about the current state of the mental health field and where do you think like it's going? Okay. I think that it's opening up in a way that while COVID was awful for pandemic and shutdowns, it rapidly opened accessibility and flexibility for counseling that people had tried to fight for for years and uh, was paused because, no, you can't do video counseling because you never know who else is in the room. So you can't keep compliance with HIPAA or no, you can't do telehealth over the phone, right? Because you can't see somebody's facial expressions and you don't get the full experience. But when it was faced with well, you can do that and have some risk that the person agrees to or nothing that all of a sudden states and insurance companies, it's not even that a state was willing that also insurance companies were saying, okay, we'll still pay as long as you do this, a couple extra steps of paperwork, which seemed so worth it for that availability. And I think that's opening up the ability for flexibility as we look into, there's the counseling compact that's up um, for review that as states find an agreement, if your home state as a counselor joins this counseling compact and whatever other states are in it, that you could be traveling as a counselor or maybe you could have a summer home and a winter home and still keep your private practice going or your clientele might want to go on an extended vacation, but they don't go because they, they do feel like they need to keep their counseling appointment. And so that flexibility to have that better work-life balance or be able to go and do something exciting, but as a client say, like you want to go do this big thing, but be able to have that grounding that you could still have your counseling session. Maybe it's shorter, maybe it's video one time or, phone call the next, but to be able to keep that connection, I think it'll help people better live and stay engaged. Yeah, I have a few things to say about that as a therapist in private practice. I think that allowing video therapy is an excellent like avenue because when basically we got this email from Colorado uh, department of regulations that said that like, you cannot see people in person, like it's done. Like you have to go home. Like we're, if you, we're, you're found practicing in person, like you're in violation of your license, unless it's like an absolute emergency. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. What are we, what are we going to do now? 
you know, and then the insurance companies like a couple of days later were like, okay, we're going to pay for, for telehealth. And I was like, well, thank goodness, because my entire practice is insurance based. Um, so we, all of the therapists that we have are paneled with uh, insurance companies. And then every client that we see is, has insurance. So the idea of just not being able to see people, drastically like that was like really scary. So I'm glad the insurance companies like followed suit when states were making the decision that we couldn't even see people in person. Um, and I hope it continues, right? Like we'll see what happens. Um, everyone kind of is holding their breath because certain insurance companies are already saying that they're going to change their rules or make it potentially more difficult. But my hope is something like this pack can maybe sway insurance companies to kind of keep up with the times rather than go back to the way things were. Cause I don't think that was really serving anyone. Um, and as a therapist and someone who's been in therapy, I remember when I was moving from Florida to Colorado, like I had been with my therapist for probably two and a half years at that point, like on and off. And this idea that I was not going to be able to talk to her like really ever again was like super stressful for me. And was like a part of this like decision about moving like, oh, God, I've just like say goodbye to this therapist. Like it's been a long term relationship, basically, that I've been in. And now I can't see her anymore. So having a pack like this hopefully will help people not even have to have that a part of their decision making and worry of like, oh, I want to go moved to California for this job, but now I have to say goodbye to my therapist because, you know, now I can't see her anymore, him anymore, because I have to find a California therapist. Like it doesn't seem fair. Right. Well, and then how many people, because you've been in this long-term relationship and then you you're forced to end it, right? It's like this forced breakup. Nobody wants to, in another realm, nobody wants to go dating again after a breakup. How many people just forego therapy until maybe as far as a crisis, because it's just such an undertaking to find a new therapist again? Yeah, because you have to tell the whole story all over again and start from right. An interview, and you might be telling the whole story to quite a few people, and you know, and maybe there's somewhere in between, not just carte blanche that you moved to California and maybe you can't keep a therapist in Florida forever. Maybe you can, but maybe there's somewhere in between such as you can keep the therapist for a year to get you through transition, or you can keep them if you see them in person once a year. And, you know, if you're willing to make that commitment, okay. But, you know, I could see, because you also don't, I don't, you don't want people to not be able to, have a job in counseling mm-hmm. uh, if someone never moves therapist. And there might be something to be said that after a certain amount of time that a new therapist could be helpful, different set of eyes, you're a different person because you've been developing. Mm-hmm. But I think the pact will only help everyone. It's going to help therapists. It's going to to be able to have that work-life balance. It's going to help therapists to help people that are living in those rural states that have a hard time convincing therapists to move there so that they can practice within the bounds. Or again, that somebody lives hours from town, but might want to see a counselor. It's the same issue that they have with veterans that don't get seen by the VA because they 
can't or won't come into town, so to speak, that if technology is available, why people can't use it as long as they're following some rules and they agree to. Like there could be someone else in the room with you right now and I'd never know, but I agreed to do this knowing that that was a possibility. So if someone signs on and they're a consenting adult to do so, why not let them? Really difficult not to have a dual relationship with your therapist because you know so-and-so from soccer practice or you know so-and-so from church or you know so-and-so because you check them out at the grocery store, right? Like you see them all the time, they're checking you out. And right, yeah. it's hard to find a therapist that you don't have another relationship with. So having the opportunity to see at least someone within the, the state, right? Going back to the availability for telehealth. like Yeah, that's a great point. Since you're in a smaller town than I'm in, in Orlando. So. Well, and there's states that are much smaller than Colorado. I think like Wyoming is one of those states that's like losing oh, yes. population as time goes on. Like And so how many therapists are really in Wyoming? Like probably not very many. Right. I actually know someone that lives in Wyoming. Her and her whole family live in Cheyenne. And we did a road trip through the whole state. Another friend and I flew out there to do a half marathon. But to go from Cheyenne, which is where everybody is, to go all the way around Grand Tetons and Cody and all that. Yeah, I can't imagine in some of those cities that there's even a counselor there, much less finding one that you don't have a dual relationship with. And think about in Florida, we have all the snowbirds over on your side of the world. Arizona gets a lot of snowbirds. Having two therapists or having to constantly break up with a therapist would be really hard. It would be nice if you could keep one and just half the year you video chat and half the year you get to see them in person. Yeah. Well, Hopefully change is on the horizon and we can continue to, to lobby for continuation of care and treating like ethically through this like new world of technology. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm not saying that people definitely more training. Some CEU requirements came out, right, to redo our licenses that specifically relate to telehealth. I think that's great. If people are willing to do that, let's let progress keep going. Yeah, rather than being scared of change. Exactly, right? <laughs> what do you think needs to be changed with the way people perceive mental health in therapy? And what do you think that could potentially look like in the future? I think that we are overcoming the stigma of therapy, especially in our millennial group. Sometimes it's even that people are somewhat proud to say, hey, I have a therapist. They help me so that I can reach my my next work goal instead of people only going to therapy in crisis. And so it's definitely still a big learning curve about, hey, people, a therapist doesn't have to be for crisis. It's just anything that you want to improve and basically have someone independent from your life to bounce ideas off of. And I do see that with our admissions that we're treating, um, at least here in Florida, is that that younger group is open and sometimes even expecting counseling and therapy um, and sometimes even can't get enough of it. They want somebody there all the time to add to their therapy sessions, whereas our older group is generally still not is into it, even though we're treating people that have had a traumatic injury, 
Um, but it's a lot of times the younger people are seeking it out and, you know, how am I going to get back to my life? And maybe my life is going to look different, but how am I going to deal with that and move forward? And mm -hmm. If they keep no other uh, sessions or appointments during the week, quite a few of them will keep that counseling session. That's their one safe space that they can work through what's happening. And some of them even like being in that therapeutic setting and it's how are they going to transition to the outside and keep going and doing well. And maybe that means that they get to transition to outpatient, but they still come back and see that therapist. It's nice that you guys have all those different options for people. And we're even expanding. So it's been good. Yeah. It's nice that we're getting to start to open back up to our outpatient people um, because that's where we first went with telehealth. We have some people that would come to the program just for the day, five days a week. They were at home with support, but they needed somewhere to be during the day. And when we got shut down, suddenly they had nowhere to go. And so um, moving them to telehealth as quickly as everyone could agree company-wide for how to make policy for that was really great to keep them connected over the year. Yeah. So I want to ask an additional question here because I, I don't know that much about uh, traumatic brain injury, but from what I remember from our previous conversations is there's a large population that is predominantly male that goes to yes. restorative. I'm curious what you're seeing the difference between perhaps like men in their twenties and thirties that have maybe TBIs, um, which is mm -hmm. traumatic brain injury for those that don't know. And people who are like in their fifties and sixties um, that are coming to your program. Do you see a difference in how many are coming in a difference in like their attitudes towards uh, therapy with that, you know, being a male. Cause I, I know in my practice, if a, a male is coming to counseling, he's usually like 35 and below. I have women that are coming in their fifties and sixties, but we don't really have a lot of men in their fifties and sixties coming um, to our outpatient level of care. Right. Well, we see, like you said, we see men in general because they tend to do either have riskier behavior on their own or they're in a riskier job that can result in an injury, right? And so we see men in general, and then we see those younger men because they're the ones still doing that risky job. Um, a lot of that uh, a bit has slowed down since a lot of people have been out of work, workplace injuries slowed down. But uh, the people that come in and that are younger, um, if TBI is their primary diagnosis and they have also maybe some underlying mental health issues, they are still generally the ones that are going to that counseling appointment. They want to know how to get out of there. They are seeking so hard to find, um, to get back to where they were and to prove that nothing's changed and that they can go back to what they want to do. Um, and some of that is working through a lot of uh, the people that we serve are under guardianship, at least temporarily, because their injuries left them for at least a piece of time that they were incapacitated. Um, and so sometimes it's really working through that. They want to get their guardianship back of their own person. They want to be their own self. And so attending counseling and working through that and showing that you can be independent is a really strong way to do that. Uh, whereas 
some of the um, some of the older people then that are with us might be there for a longer period of time. And so they might go through some counseling for some adjustment to the fact that they're going to be with us for longer. And it could be that some adjustment to, we do have a substance recovery program that has a, an obviously very strong counseling piece. And so it could be, you know, managing that or reconciling the, of what they did in their youth to how that's affecting them in their older age. But uh, we can't make anybody go to therapy no matter what. Right. Mm-hmm. And then um, we've also been open that sometimes we have to uh, go to a different therapist if they're just not connecting and we're open to that too, but it gives people the variety. Some people see the therapist in-house or sometimes we'll transport people. Like you said, they don't want the dual relationship. Maybe they don't want to see the person around the program that will help them find someone in the community as well, as long as they're getting that need served. And also we have a lot of insurance companies and they look for that being offered and they want to know if people are attending, even if we can't talk about what's going on in there, they want to know that it's at least there for people. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a really great program with a lot of different facets for people to hopefully, you know, improve their current situation to one that they can be more functional or live a better life. Yes. And I think that's really that's what the all therapy is about, right? And it's important that you don't yes. have to have experienced something super traumatic um, whether physically or emotionally in order to benefit from therapy. Sometimes it is just a matter of like, my life is hard right now and it sucks. And how can I get to the other side of that? And then there's people who like, you know, have something really bad happen to them. What we call a, you know, a big T trauma or a little T trauma, like all of those important and all of those can be served um, in the mental health field. Right. And it could be, you know, something someone decides that they want to change their career path and they just need to work even through that and their options with somebody. Yep. yep. And that's important too. Yep. Career counseling is a huge aspect, I think, in a lot of people's um, treatment, at least again, at, at outpatient level. And it sounds like maybe sometimes in your level, because those people I imagine can't return to the same sort of work that they were doing prior to their injury. Right. Sometimes it's forced career counseling. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Managing some realistic expectations. Yeah. So counseling can help with a lot of different things. And I'm glad that Robin was able to join us today to talk a little bit more about what she does, as well as how there are different varieties of therapy and different reasons why people attend therapy and how counseling can help just about anybody, whether it's from motherhood to career to experiencing something traumatic. So thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Robin. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Take care.